Amen. I want to thank Arthur for that great, great song of victory in this wonderful Christian life. It is when we lay our lives down that we experience the victory of Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. It would be good for you to turn there. If you don't have your Bible, maybe you can access the Bible on an electronic device. Not all of the verses that we'll be looking at this morning will be on the screens, and it will help you greatly if you were able to read along with me as we study in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. You have the four Gospels, then you have Acts and Romans, and then you have 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. We're studying sanctification. Sanctification is our greatest opportunity to experience a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that only comes from the Lord. Sanctification is our greatest opportunity to experience comfort in our time of suffering and our time of pain. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth and writing really out of his own pain and anguish, uh, expresses this truth that sanctification is an incredibly important part of the Christian experience. It's essential, as a matter of fact. It's something that takes place in your life, whether even you recognize it or not, because it is God's will to bring you into the image of Christ. That is to say, to make you more and more like Jesus. And he is at work in every believer doing that. Sanctification is the opposite of not changing. Sanctification is the opposite of, of staying the same. And it ought to be the heart and the desire of every believer to become more and more and more like Jesus. We talked about sanctification last week, and I left you with this question, what if... What if of this church of six or seven hundred people, there was a hundred that said, you know what, sanctification is a priority in my life. Sanctification is important to me. Sanctification, I, I'm having my mind on sanctification, this, this, this idea of becoming more and more and more like Jesus, that's going to be a priority in my life. What if we had a hundred? What if we had two hundred? What if we had 50? <laughs> what if we had 300? Well, really, the Apostle Paul, in teaching what sanctification is all about, he answers that question. He tells us about the specific changes that take place in our life. He tells us what the result would be or what the result is as we become more and more like Jesus. Sanctification, we have defined it this way, sanctification is the process by which God transforms our lives into the image of Christ. Sanctification is the process by which God transforms our lives into the image of Christ. And we took that and we broke it down into sanctification is the process, and we talked a little bit about that, is the process by which God, and we talked a little bit about that, and today we're going to focus on transforming our lives into the image of Christ. But we started with this. Sanctification is the process. 
But justification occurs at a point in time. There's a point in time where we experience salvation. We experience forgiveness. We experience this incredible union with Jesus Christ. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. Justification. You're either justified or you're not. Justification occurs at a point in time. But sanctification is a process over time. It's a constant. Sanctification is the process by which God. God is the author of sanctification in our lives. God is the instrument of sanctification in our lives. God is the one who brings about sanctification in our lives. It's not us who sanctifies ourselves. It is God who sanctifies us. We are sanctified by God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And our key verse in studying this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled faces, bringing the veil down so that we can behold, we can look upon Jesus, we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord. He does it. Who is the Spirit. The unveiled faces that we, we, we went back to Exodus and we looked at Moses as he went up onto the mountain and he stood face to face with God. And when he came down, it, it, it showed on his face that he had seen and been with God, that he had seen the glory of God, that he experienced the glory of God. And it was radiant. It, it, it changed him. What, what we behold, we become like. Here's, here's a key to sanctification. The more we look to Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. Looking more and more like Jesus is sanctification. That's what it is. Verse 18, that 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we looked at tells us that this comes from the Lord. That the Lord does this in us. This is so important because we have this tendency to want to make our lists. If I want to experience sanctification, if I want to be more and more like Jesus, then these are the things that I have to do. i got to do this, 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 and this. And it's, but it's God who changes us. Ezekiel 36, 27, God in this prophetic book talking to us today says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going I'm to give you a new heart. I'm not going to write my laws on, on tablets of stone any longer. I'm going I'm to give you a heart, and I'm going to write my laws on your heart, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm, I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my commands. Get, the, get the, the, the verbiage there. Get the way God says that to us there. Get the, get the way that the, the Bible reveals this to us. God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to cause you. I believe, listen, I believe that within every single believer, there is this desire to be more like Jesus. For some of us, it's way, 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 way down deep because there's a veil that has covered us from looking to Jesus and that that veil in some of our lives is all of the busyness of this world and all of this that this world has to offer. But we take that veil down and we look at Jesus. And the more we look at him, the more 
we become like him. And it's him that does the work within us. I want to tell you, folks, this happens more often, more often than we care to think about. But without the Spirit, without the Spirit of God in us, we are destined to, to walk these tired, dutiful Christian lives. And when I say Christian lives, I, I, I mean that, that, that we're operating under an Old Testament understanding of I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this, and I got to do that because I've got to appease God because I don't want to spend an eternity in hell. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's the Spirit of God who does this work in us. And so I ended last week by saying it might sound, because we talk so much about how God does this, God does this, God does this in you. So I ended last week by saying, but it's not easy. Sanctification is the process by which God transforms our lives through the spirit that indwells us. But we need to also see the battle for for transformation. That there's this raging battle, and I won't look at all of these verses here, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about us uh, 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 being outwitted by our enemy, Satan. In chapter 11 and verse 14, it says that Satan, our enemy, disguises himself as an angel of light, as an angel of truth. In chapter 10, and I want, I want to read chapter 10 and verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, this battle for transformation. For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Listen to the verbiage there. Look at the words there. Waging war. Our warfare. Destroying strongholds. Taking every thought captive. We have got to understand as believers that, this, that there's this battle that's raging and it's moment by moment. It's every single day. That there's a battle for, for you. There's a battle for your mind taking every thought captive. In this, in this battle for transformation, God desires to transform our minds. Can you imagine, think about what that means, that that, that in this battle, folks, listen, if you don't understand that we're in a battle, you're in trouble. If you don't understand that, that there's this war going on, this conflict going on, that there's a battle for your mind, then you're going to lose. You don't have a chance. But there's this, this battle that rages, and it's, it's a battle for transformation. It's a battle for change. It's a battle to become more like Jesus. And it's a, it's a battle for our minds. I love this thought. I love the way he puts this, taking every thought captive. That I'm going to think about Jesus. I'm going to behold Jesus. I'm going to look at, at Jesus. I'm going to allow Jesus to be the filter which I run every experience in my life through. And I'm going to think about it in that context, and I'm going to think about it in that way, and I'm going to think about it from his perspective, that God 
transforms our minds. And he transforms our affections. Not just the way we think, but, but how we feel. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. I want you to really, really kind of look at your own life in regard to this. Verse 10 of chapter 7 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief. Worldly grief. How we feel. Look, the more we become like Jesus the more we hate sin and love righteousness. And so, when we sin, is there this worldly grief, which I would describe as, oh no, this is going to mess things up for me. uh, That's not going to work right, and I probably shouldn't have done that, and there's going to be a consequence. That's a worldly or a godly grief. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against my Savior. God wants to transform even the way we feel, our affections. He wants to transform our wills. Maybe a better word there would be, he wants to transform our our actions. In chapters 5 and 12, Paul gives us a list. In chapter 5, he talks about how how, uh, we will be judged. There will be a judgment one day. In chapter 12, he, he, he talks about how when, when, we're, when our enemy is winning the battle in our lives, how these, these certain actions come forth from us. And he lists them in chapter 12, verse 19, quarreling and jealousy and slandering and gossip and deceit and disorder. In this process of, of transformation, God so desires to transform our minds and our affections, and even our our actions. And I love this so much. God so desires to transform our relationships. I think in two specific areas, God wants to transform our relationships to each other in the church. I've read through 2 Corinthians several times over the last three or four weeks. And I'm always taken aback, drawn to, moved by the incredible love that the Apostle Paul has for this church at Corinth. And their relationship wasn't the greatest relationship in the world, for Paul spoke very, very plainly to them. He spoke in truth to them. He spoke harshly to them. There were those even in the church who began to question Paul's apostleship, Paul's authority to teach them. Paul, according to the scripture, loved, loved, loved these people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul says this, For I, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish. I wrote out of my own, out of my own suffering, out of my own pain. And I wrote to you with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. That I told you the truth because I love you. 
that I was honest with you because I love you abundantly. I love you with this overflowing love. And I guess maybe if I didn't love you at all, I would just let you live the way that you live. Chapter 11 and verse 2, he begins, he talks again about the love that he has for them. In chapter 11 and verse 2, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived by his cunningness, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. <laughs> Listen, he speaks, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I am the one who betrothed you to one husband. I'm the one that brought you into this union with Jesus Christ. I'm the one that presented you, he says here, as a pure virgin to Christ. And I'm jealous for you because I see that maybe you're not being faithful to that union. You're not being faithful to that relationship. And I'm jealous for you. I, I love you that much. In chapter 12, in verse 14 and 15, Paul again talking about his love for these people. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. It's not that I, I'm here not, not for what you can do for me, not for what you can give me, not for what you have. I'm here because I love you. I'm, I'm here for you. I would most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I'd give my life for you. I love you. Look, I can't, I can't read Scripture like that. I can't, I can't kind of be where Paul is and, without thinking about you. Without thinking about God and His providence and His sovereignty that He would bring me here to pastor this church and in the process of, of these years, and now it's been 12, 13 years, something like that, that I've pastored this church, and, and it's God who puts within me this incredible Love for you. And to the point where you're, you're almost all I think about. I go to bed thinking about you. And thinking about us. And thinking about where we are. And thinking about, you know, this, this idea Paul says, I, I, I'm jealous for you. He, he, what he's saying is, I want you to experience all that God has for you. I love you to that extent. I, I would do anything. I would give my life. I will, I will spend and be spent for you. And I can... I can so relate to that. But if it's to manifest itself in an appropriate way, then I've got to teach you God's Word, all of God's Word, the whole counsel of God. I've got to bring to your mind this the lifestyle. I've got, to, I've got to challenge you and get you to examine yourself and where you're at in your relationship with Him. It is a responsibility I have as a pastor, but that's not what drives it. What drives it is I love you. I want you to experience all that God has for you. And this process of sanctification, one of the things that God transforms is, is, is our relationships. It's manifest, it's seen in our relationships for each other. I, I, I get encouraged. I told you last week, I get so encouraged when I... When I come to gatherings of the church, regardless of what the gathering is, and one of the reasons that I get so encouraged, and I'm telling you the truth, I saw this two Saturdays ago at our event here. I see it in life groups. I see it in the worship team. I, 
any, any gathering, I stand back and I watch and I see people the way they love one another. I see people hugging and I see people being involved and I see people interacting. That's a, that's a, a, a part of, of how God transforms us. He transforms our relationships. He transforms our relationships to each other within the church, but not just in the church, but He transforms our relationship to others in the world. He's at work transforming us. I said, what if? What if? What if? What if there was a hundred? Well, part of the, of the result of this, of this sanctification, this transformation, this change, this becoming more and more like Jesus is that he transforms, he changes our relationships in the world. I think that he does that in two ways. One, by reflecting God's holiness. In other words, just as Moses came down off the mountain, he, the, what the people saw on Moses was a reflection of God's glory and God's holiness. He goes on the mountain and he beholds God. God begins to do a work in him. God changes him. He comes down off the mountain and the people see a difference in his life. It's the same kind of thing here by reflecting God's holiness in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read this passage to you beginning in the 14th verse. This is, this is about, this is Paul talking about being different from the world. But understand what drives this. You've got to understand what drives this. He, he begins by, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The, 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 he begins to teach how in the world could a believer uh, uh, date an unbeliever? How, how can that happen? How in the world could a believer actually marry an unbeliever? He asks these rhetorical questions. Here's why he's befounded by that. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. He quotes from the Old Testament, I will make, God speaking, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Be separate. Be different. Be, be, be separated. And I will be a father to you, God says. You shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. And since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The point of that whole passage is we are the temple of the living God. God dwells in us. We are his temple. These people in Corinth understood exactly what Paul was talking about, and we must understand that same truth today that in the Old Testament there was a temple and they kept that temple spotless and they kept, kept that temple clean and they kept, kept that temple holy so that the world could come and gaze upon the temple and see the holiness and the glory of God. 
But there's not a temple anymore. There are no holy places anymore. This is not a holy place. We don't see holy places in the New Testament. And so if there's no holy place, how is the world to come and gaze upon the holiness and the glory of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're to see that in you. For you are the temple of God. They're to see that in me. They're to see that in us. Sanctification is not merely for our sakes. It is to bring us to a place where we become more and more and more and more like Jesus so that we might reflect His glory, so that we might reflect His holiness, so the world would see and be drawn. And so it's appropriate that we ask ourselves that when we look at our lives, when we look at our daily activities, our lifestyle at the office, on the ball field, in Publix, when we're getting our hair cut, wherever we're at, when we're interacting with our family at home, are we reflecting, reflecting the glory and holiness of God? It's what God wants to do as He transforms us and makes us more and more like Him. He talks so much about being separate. But folks, please, please don't think that, that we're supposed to have some kind of holy huddle here huddle here and it's just us this passage the whole idea behind this passage is to be different to reflect the glory of God out in the world to go out into the world so that others might see the glory of God but not just see the glory of God one way that that, that he transforms our relationships to to others in the world one by reflecting but also Another by us proclaiming, telling, speaking Jesus as Lord to share the love of Christ with others. I want to show you something. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You talk about a battle. Here's, the, here's what he calls us to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. For what we proclaim, what we speak, what we share, what we talk, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our message. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul's saying that's what we do. That's our calling. That's part of this becoming more like Jesus. That's part of being transformed. That's part of how relationships change as we become more and more like Jesus. We proclaim not ourselves, not ourselves, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. To proclaim Him. But listen, I find this so interesting. Talk about a battle. The verse before, verse 5 Paul's talking about unbelievers and he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. In their case, the God, God, little g, the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers. In verse 6, following verse 5, when we're, we're told to, that we are to proclaim, in verse 6 it says, for God with a capital G, says, 
Let light, light shine out of darkness. And God has shown in hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In, in verse 5, you got to get this. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. In verse 5, he's saying, go and proclaim as I change you. As you reflect my glory, as you reflect my holiness, go and tell people and proclaim me. But understand that, that, that there's a, a little G God who is blinding the minds of unbelievers. He's doing it right now in this room to unbelievers. And unbelievers that, that, that we interact with, that we cross paths with, there's this little G God, the God of this world, Paul calls, that's blinding the minds. They're unable to see the light. But in verse 6, it says the God of glory is shining the light. There's this, there's this God of glory. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, I think, it says that God it desires that all come to repentance, that all come into relationship with Him. And He's shining the light. God desires that every person come into relationship with Him, that they would call heaven their home, that they would spend an eternity knowing Him, loving Him, enjoying Him. That's His desire. That's His heart. And there's this God, this little God, this little G, this God of the world who desires that every single person spend eternity, billions and billions and billions of years burning in hell. That's a battle. That's the ultimate battle. That's a cosmic battle that's going on. And we're right in the middle of it. Little G, big G, capital G, and us in the middle proclaiming Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, let's not get the importance or the priority of the battles out of order. The battles that, that take place on artificial fields. I was up till 12.30 last night, this morning, watching an artificial battle taking place on a field that when it comes right down to it, it matters not one single bit who wins or loses. Let not that be the priority over this cosmic battle for the souls of men and women. What if? What if? What if there was a hundred that said, this is going to be a priority to me. I'm going to turn my affection and my attention to Jesus. I'm going to behold Jesus I'm going to become like Jesus. I'm going to start my day that way. I'm going to allow Him to transform my mind and my emotions and my feelings and even my actions. And I'm going to allow Him to transform my relationships. And the more I become like Him, the more I'll reflect His glory and His holiness. And the more that I'll be driven to share His love with people before there's this cosmic battle going on. There's this God of the world that wants people to die and and spend an eternity separated from God. And there's the God of the universe who so desires that every person come into relationship with Him. And I'm sitting there in the middle and I want people to know. And I want to share. And I want to tell people sanctification is not merely for our sakes. It's talking about changing the world by proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And sharing the love of Christ with others. What if? Not only do we need to see this 
this battle for transformation that goes on, but we also need to see as we study the sanctification, the need for examination. 2 Corinthians 13, Paul draws this, this letter to the church at Corinth to a close, beginning in verse 5. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. He's speaking to every believer in this room. It's a call to take a look at ourselves, to examine ourselves. I hope, I hope that the Spirit of God has made clear to each and every one of you, I trust that he has this, this process of sanctification that takes place. The Spirit living in you. The battle that takes place. And, and so in, in examining ourselves, I would, I would ask you the question, do you see that process working out in your life? Do you see, can, can, can you dig down deep inside if that's what's necessary and find that place where you, you really have a desire to be more and more and more like Jesus? And if you don't, then you got you to gotta go back and figure out if there was ever that point of justification in your life. There's nothing more important. Dale, how, how will I know? How would I really know? I, I, I don't know if I can answer that for you, but I can tell you this. It's worthy of you spending hours and hours and hours, if necessary, with God and simply saying, God, have I truly trusted in Jesus? Have I placed my faith in Jesus? Have I experienced His forgiveness is it, it's nothing that I've done that, that, that misses the whole point. It's that point of justification where I place my faith in Him. Whatever it takes, you got to do that. I tell you this because I love you. Do you see that process working out in your lives? And for some of you, I know that you would think to yourself, I, I do see that process working out in my life, but I tell you what, Pastor, I can see so many areas that I, I feel like I need to grow and I need to change. And I want to say to you, every, every believer, that's where you ought to be. Because, because sanctification will never be complete in this world. It will never be complete in this world. And I've, I, I've not been privy to this personally or directly, but I've been told that there's, there's doctrines going around that, 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 that you can actually grow to a place of living a sinless life, but, but that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's a false doctrine. So, so every believer ought to be at a place where they're experiencing this process, but also recognizing that there are places where, where God wants to continue to do a work in me. There's places I need to grow and places... They need to be changed in my life. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know what, I can't think of a place. Well, maybe you could start with pride. Maybe that's an area that God wants to do 
a work in your life. We talk about, we talk about unveiled faces. We, we talk about pulling down the veil so that we can behold the king. And so a question might be, what, what does that veil represent in my life? What do I want to turn from so I can turn to Jesus and behold Jesus and become like Jesus? What is it in your life? We are called to examine ourselves. There's justification at that point in time and there's sanctification, this, this process by which God transforms our lives. God changes us to become more and more and more like Jesus. This process by which God transforms our lives into the image of Christ. Our sanctification will be complete one day. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, I love this, I love this. Beloved, we are God's children. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. That there will come a time when we will stand before Jesus. And, and what does it say? We will see Him. We will behold Him. We will look upon Him. And when we see Him and behold Him and look upon Him, we will become like Him. And on that day, our sanctification process will be completed. That will be what the Bible calls our glorification. It's the journey of every believer. It starts with the point in time of justification. And from that point, every day that we live on this earth is that journey of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus. As we behold Him, and His Spirit works in us to change us. And then when we behold Him face to face, we will be like Him. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's the path, the journey of every believer. Do you know Him today? If you know Him today, are you experiencing His Spirit in your life at work to transform, to transform your mind, to transform your, your will, to transform your affections, to transform your relationships? Do you love the people in this church? Do you love other believers? What about relationships in the world? Are people able to see the reflection of God's holiness in your life? Are you willing to proclaim Jesus? There's a battle going on. And you're right 
in the middle of it. What if? I believe God wants to use this church to turn this community upside down for him. And I want to tell you, everything that we need to accomplish that, we have. I want to invite you to stand. It's time of decision. Examine yourselves. It's becoming more like Jesus important to you. Of all of your priorities this coming week, will one of them be next Sunday, I want to be more like Jesus than I am this Sunday? How does that happen in our lives? We turn our attention and affection to Jesus. We behold Him. Every experience is, we run through Him. He is the filter for every experience in our life. We begin our day by beholding Him, by looking upon Him, by learning of Him, by being in His Word, by talking to Him. We begin that way. It sets the tone for the day allowing us to experience His true presence. Not presence, but presence. So that I might behold Him all throughout the day and allow His Spirit to do a supernatural work of transformation in my heart so that I might shine and reflect the glory and holiness of God so that the world would see and be drawn to the light which God shines. Everything that we need, we have. What will you do? Will you be one of the hundred? It's going to be important. It's going to be a priority. I want to be more like Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Preserving this truth for us. Forgive us, Lord, for making things that aren't as important more important than what's important. We want you on the throne. We want you to be number one. We want you to be our priority. We want your work in us to be visible. We give you ourselves. Have your will and way in every heart and life, I beg in Jesus' name. Arthur, lead us. One church, one faith.